Chapter Seven of Partial Portraits by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Rita Boutros. Chapter Seven. Alphonse Daudet. Section One. The novel of manners grows thick in England, and there are many reasons for it. In the first place, it was born there, and a plant always flourishes in its own country. So wrote M. Tain, the French critic, many years ago. But those were the years of Dickens and Thackeray, as a prelude to a study of the latter of whom the remark was made. And the branch of literature mentioned by M. Tain has no longer, in the soil of our English-speaking genius, so strong a vitality. The French may bear the palm to-day in the representation of manners by the aid of fiction. Formerly it was possible to oppose Balzac and Madame Sand to Dickens and Thackeray, but at present we have no one, either in England or in America, to oppose to Alphonse Daudet. The appearance of a new novel by this admirable genius is, to my mind, the most delightful literary event that can occur just now. In other words, Alphonse Daudet is at the head of his profession— I say of his profession advisedly, for he belongs to our modern class of trained men of letters. He is not an occasional or a desultory poet. He is a novelist to his fingertips, a soldier in the great army of constant producers. But, such as he is, he is a master of his art, and I may as well say definitely that if I attempt to sketch in a few pages his literary countenance, it will be found that the portrait is from the hand of an admirer. We most of us feel that among the artists of our day certain talents have more to say to us, and others less. We have our favorites, and we have our objects of indifference. The writer of these remarks has always had a sympathy for the author of the Lettres de Montmoulin. He began to read his novels with a prejudice in their favor. This prejudice sprang from the letters aforesaid, which do not constitute a novel, but a volume of the lightest and briefest tales. They had, to my mind, an extraordinary charm. They put me quite on the side of Alphonse Daudet, whatever he might do in the future. One of the first things he did was to publish the history of Fromant Jean et Rislayane. It is true that this work did not give me the pleasure that some of its successors have done, and though it has been crowned by the French Academy, I still think it weaker than Les Rois en Exil and Numa Rumestan. But I liked it better on a second reading than on a first. It contained some delightful things. After that came Jack and Le Nabab, and the two novels I have just mentioned and that curious and interesting tale of Les Evangelistes, which appeared a few months since, and which proves that the author's genius, though on the whole he has pressed it hard, is still nervous, fresh, and young. Each of these things has been better than the last, with the exception, perhaps, of L'Evangeliste, which, to my taste, is not superior to Numa Rumestan. 
Numarumastan is a masterpiece. It is really a perfect work. It has no weakness, no roughness. It is a compact and harmonious whole. Daudet's other works have had their inequalities, their infirmities, certain places where, if you tap them, they sounded hollow. His danger has always been a perceptible tendency to the factitious. Sometimes he has fallen into the trap laid for him by a taste for superficial effects. In Fromont Jeune, for instance, it seems to me difficult to care much for the horrid little heroine herself, carefully as she is studied. She has been pursued, but she has not been caught, for she is not interesting even for a coquine, not even human. She is a mechanical doll, with nothing for the imagination to take hold of, she is one more proof of the fact that it is difficult to give the air of consistency to vanity and depravity, though the portraiture of the vicious side of life would seem, from the pictorial point of view, to offer such attractions. The reader's quarrel with Sidonie Sheb is not that she is bad, but that she is not felt, as the aesthetic people say. In Jack, the hollow spot, as I have called it, is the episode of Dr. Rivals and his daughter Cecile, which reminds us of the more genial parts of Dickens. It is perhaps because to us readers of English speech the figure of the young girl in a French novel is almost always wanting in reality, seems to be thin and conventional. In any case, poor Jack's love affair at the end of the book does not produce the illusion of the rest of his touching history. In Le Nabab, this artificial element is very considerable. It centers about the figure of Paul de Jarry, and embraces the whole group of Monsieur Joyeus and his blooming daughters with their pretty attitudes, taking in also the very shadowy André Maran, so touchingly reunited to his mother, who had lived for ten years with an Irish doctor to whom she was not married. In Les Rois en Exil, Tom Levis and the diabolical Sephora seem to me purely fanciful creations, without any relation to reality. They are the inferior part of the book. They are composed by a master of composition, and the comedian Tom is described with immense spirit, an art which speaks volumes as to a certain sort of Parisian initiation. But if this artistic and malignant couple are very clever water-color, they are not really humanity. Ruffians and rascals have a certain moral nature, as well as the better behaved. But in the case I have mentioned, Monsieur Daudet fails to put his finger upon it. The same with Madame Othiman, the evil genius of poor Eline Ebsen in The L'Evangeliste. She seems to me terribly, almost grotesquely void. She is an elaborate portrait of a fanatic of Protestantism, a bigot to the point of monstrosity, cold-blooded, implacable, cruel. The figure is painted with Alphonse Daudet's inimitable art. No one that handles the pen to-day is such a pictorial artist as he. 
but Madame Arthemand strikes me as quite automatic. Psychologically, she is a blank. One does not see the operation of her character. She must have had a soul, and a very curious one. It was a great opportunity for a piece of spiritual portraiture. But we know nothing about Madame Othomon's inner springs, and I think we fail to believe in her. I should go so far as to say that we get little more of an inside view, as the phrase is, of Aileen Epson. We are not shown the spiritual steps by which she went over to the enemy. Vividly, admirably, as the outward signs and consequences of this disaster are depicted, the logic of the matter is absent in both cases, and it takes all the magic of the author's leisure de main to prevent us from missing it. These things, however, are exceptions, and the tissue of each of his novels is, for all the rest, really pure gold. No one has such grace, such lightness and brilliancy of execution. It is a fascination to see him at work. The beauty of Numa Rumastan is that it has no hollow places. The idea and the picture melt everywhere into one. Emile Zola, criticizing the work in a very friendly spirit, speaks of the episode of Hortense Le Quesnoy and the Provençal Taborinaire as a false note, and declares that it wounds his sense of delicacy. Valmajour is a peasant of the south of France. He is young, handsome, wears a costume, and is a master of the rustic fife and tambourine, instruments that are much appreciated in his part of the country. Mademoiselle Le Quesnoy, living in Paris, daughter of a distinguished member of the French judiciary, le premier magistrat de France, young, charming, imaginative, romantic, marked out for a malady of the chest, and with a certain innocent perversity of mind, sees him play before an applauding crowd in the old Roman arena at Nîmes, and forthwith conceives a secret, a singular but not, under the circumstances, an absolutely unnatural passion for him. He comes up to Paris to seek his fortune at the Variety Theatres, where his feeble and primitive music quite fails to excite enthusiasm. The young girl, reckless and impulsive, and full of sympathy with his mortification, writes him in three words, upon one of her little photographs, an assurance of her devotion, and this innocent missive, falling soon into the hands of his rapacious and exasperated sister, a wonderful figure, one of the most living, that has ever come from Daudet's pen, becomes a source of infinite alarm to the family of Mademoiselle Le Quesnoy, who sees her compromised, calumniated, and blackmailed and finally of complete humiliation to poor Hortense herself, now fallen into a rapid consumption, and cured of her foolish infatuation by a nearer view of the vain and ignorant Valmajour. An agent of the family recovers the photograph with the aid of ten thousand francs, and the young girl, with the bitter taste of her disappointment still in her soul, dies in her flower. 
This little story, as I say, is very shocking to Monsieur Zola, who cites it as an example of the folly of a departure from consistent realism. What is observed, says Monsieur Zola, on the whole very justly, is strong. What is invented is always weak, especially what is invented to please the ladies. See in this case, he writes, all the misery of invented episodes. This love of Hortense, with which the author has doubtless wished to give the impression of something touching, produces a discomfort, as if it were a violation of nature. It is, therefore, the pages written for the ladies that are repulsive, even to a man accustomed to the saddest dissections of the human corpse. I am not of Monsieur Zola's opinion, delightful as it would be to be of that opinion when Monsieur Zola's sense of propriety is ruffled. The incident of Hortense and Valmajour is not, to my sense, a blot upon Numa Rumestan. On the contrary, it is perfectly conceivable and is treated with admirable delicacy. This romantic stuff, says Monsieur Zola elsewhere, is as painful as a pollution that a young girl should lose her head over a tenor. That may be explained, for she loves the operatic personage in the interpreter. She has before her a young man, sharpened and refined by life, elegant, having at least certain appearances of talent and intelligence. But this tambourinist, with his drum and penny whistle, this village dandy, a poor devil who doesn't even know how to speak. No, life has not such cruelties as that, I protest. I, who certainly, as a general thing, am not accustomed to give ground before human aberrations. This objection was worth making, but I should look at the matter in another way. It seems to me much more natural that a girl of the temper and breeding that Monsieur Daudet has described should take a momentary fancy to a prepossessing young rustic, bronzed by the son of Provence, even if it be conceded that his soul was vulgar, than that she should fasten her affections upon a lyric artist, suspected of pomatum and paint, and illuminated by the footlights. These are points which it is vain to discuss, however, both because they are delicate and because they are details. I have come so far simply from a desire to justify my high admiration of Numa Rumestan. But Emile Zola, again, has expressed this feeling more felicitously than I can hope to do. This, moreover, is a very slight blemish in a work which I regard as one of those, of all Daudet's productions, that is most personal to himself. He has put his whole nature into it, helped by his southern temperament, having only to make large drafts upon his innermost recollections and sensations. I do not think that he has hitherto reached such an intensity, either of irony or of geniality. Happy the books which arrive in this way, at the hour of the complete maturity of a talent. 
they are simply the widest unfolding of an artist's nature they have in happy equilibrium the qualities of observation and the qualities of style for alphonse daudet numa rumestan will mark this interfusion of a temperament and a subject that are made for each other the perfect plenitude of a work which the writer exactly fills section two as i say however these are details and i have touched them prematurely alphonse daudet is a charmer and the effect of his brilliant friendly indefinable genius is to make it difficult in speaking of him to take things in their order or follow a plan in writing of him some time ago in another place i so far lost my head as to remark with levity that he was a great little novelist the diminutive epithet then i must now say was nothing more than a term of endearment the result of an irresistible impulse to express a sense of personal fondness this kind of feeling is difficult to utter in english and the utterance of it so far as this is possible is not thought consistent with the dignity of a critic if we were talking french nothing would be simpler than to say that alphonse daudet is adorable and have done with it but this resource is denied me and i must arrive at my meaning by a series of circumlocutions i am not able even to say that he is very personal that epithet so valuable in the vocabulary of french literary criticism has when applied to the talent of an artist a meaning different from the sense in which we use it a novelist so personal and so penetrating says emile zola speaking of the author of numa rumestan that phrase in english means nothing in particular so that i must add to it that the charm of daudet's talent comes from its being charged to an extraordinary degree with his temperament his feelings his instincts his natural qualities this of course is a charm in a style only when nature has been generous to alphonse daudet she has been exceptionally so she has placed in his hand an instrument of many chords a delicate nervous organization active and indefatigable in spite of its delicacy and familiar with emotion of almost every kind equally acquainted with pleasure and with pain a light quick joyous yet reflective imagination a faculty of seeing images making images at every turn of conceiving everything in the visible form in the plastic spirit an extraordinary sensibility to all the impressions of life and a faculty of language which is in perfect harmony with his wonderful fineness of perception these are some of the qualities of which he is the happy possessor and which make his equipment for the work he has undertaken exceedingly rich there are others besides but enumerations are ponderous and we should avoid that danger in speaking of a genius whose lightness of touch never belies itself his elder brother who has not his talent has written a little book about him in which the word 
modernite perpetually occurs monsieur ernest daudet in mon frere et moi insists upon his possession of the qualities expressed by this barbarous substantive which is so indispensable to the new school alphonse daudet is in truth very modern he has all the newly developed the newly invented perceptions nothing speaks so much to his imagination as the latest and most composite things the refinements of current civilization the most delicate shades of the actual it is scarcely too much to say that especially in the parisian race modern manners modern nerves modern wealth and modern improvements have engendered a new sense a sense not easily named nor classified but recognizable in all the most characteristic productions of contemporary art it is partly physical partly moral and the shortest way to describe it is to say that it is a more analytic consideration of appearances it is known by its tendency to resolve its discoveries into pictorial form it sees the connection between feelings and external conditions and it expresses such relations as they have not been expressed hitherto it deserves to win victories because it has opened its eyes well to the fact that the magic of the arts of representation lies in their appeal to the associations awakened by things it traces these associations into the most unlighted corners of our being into the most devious paths of experience the appearance of things is constantly more complicated as the world grows older and it needs a more and more patient art a closer notation to divide it into its parts of this art alphonse daudet has a wonderfully large allowance and that is why i say that he is peculiarly modern it is very true that his manner is not the manner of patience though he must always have had a great deal of that virtue in the preparation of his work the new school of fiction in france is based very much on the taking of notes the library of the great flaubert of the brothers de Jeancourt, of emile zola and of the writer of whom i speak must have been in a large measure a library of memorandum books this of course only puts the patients back a stage or two in composition daudet proceeds by quick instantaneous vision by the happiest divination by catching the idea as it suddenly springs up before him with a whir of wings what he mainly sees is the great surface of life and the parts that lie near the surface but life is immensely a matter of surface and if our emotions in general are interesting the form of those emotions has the merit of being the most definite thing about them like most french imaginative writers judged at least from the english standpoint he is much less concerned with the moral the metaphysical world than with the sensible we proceed usually from the former to the latter while the french reverse the process 
Except in politics, they are uncomfortable in the presence of abstractions, and lose no time in reducing them to the concrete. But even the concrete for them is a field for poetry, which brings us to the fact that the delightful thing in Daudet's talent is the inveterate poetical touch. This is what mainly distinguishes him from the other lights of the realistic school modifies so completely in his case the hardness of consistent realism there is something very hard very dry in flaubert in edmond de jeancourt in the robust zola but there is something very soft in alphonse daudet Benevolent nature, says Zola, has placed him at that exquisite point where poetry ends and reality begins. That is happily said. Daudet's great characteristic is this mixture of the sense of the real with the sense of the beautiful. His imagination is constantly at play with his theme. It has a horror of the literal, the limited. It sees an object in all its intermingled relations, on its sentimental, its pathetic, its comical, its pictorial side. Flaubert, in whom Alphonse Daudet would probably recognize to a certain degree a literary paternity, is far from being a simple realist. But he was destitute of this sense of the beautiful, destitute of facility and grace. He had, to take its place, a sense of the strange, the grotesque, to which Salambo, La Tentation de Saint-Antoine, his indescribable posthumous novel of Bouvard et Pécuchet abundantly testify. The talent of the brothers Jean Cours strike us as a talent that was associated originally with a sense of beauty, but we receive an impression that this feeling has been perverted and warped. It has ceased to be natural and free, it has become morbid and peevish, has turned mainly to curiosity and mannerism. And these two authors are capable, during a whole book, as in Germany la Sorteau or La Fille Elisa, of escaping from its influence altogether. No one would probably ever think of accusing Emile Zola of having a perception of the beautiful. He has an illimitable and at times a very valuable sense of the ugly, of the unclean. But when he addresses himself to the poetic aspect of things, as in La Faute de l'Abbé Mouret, he is apt to have terrible misadventures. End of chapter 7 Sections 1 and 2 Alphonse Daudet